This is the WellTech Podcast with Galit Horowitz and Amir Al-Roy. Hello and welcome to the WellTech Podcast. I'm Galit Horowitz and I'm joined by my fellow co-founder at WellTech Ventures, Amir Al-Roy. Hi, Amir. Hi, Galit. So in this episode, we hear from Dr. Michael Roizen, the Cleveland Clinic's first chief wellness officer, a board member of the Global Wellness Institute and a New York Times bestselling author. We met Dr. Roizen and heard him speak at the Global Wellness Summit here in Tel Aviv not too long ago. Amir, in your opinion, what makes Michael Roizen such an influential figure in the wellness and health industry? I will start. It was our true pleasure to host and learn from Dr. Roizen speaking about longevity, the real age concept invented, his books, 90 is the new 40. So those are things we haven't heard before. Longevity as a whole is a concept that Dr. Roizen is leading globally. So Roizen, in my eyes, is an ambassador of eating healthy, moving, exercising, and he's a great advocate for healthy living and promoting wellness, generally speaking. It was our true pleasure to have him with us. Great. So let's get to the interview. This is me, together with our producer, Jonathan, speaking with Dr. Michael Roizen. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the WellTech Podcast. This is a special and exciting episode for us because we are recording on location at the 2022 Global Wellness Summit right here in Tel Aviv, Israel. Uh, during the summit, we're meeting thought leaders from around the world and hearing a lot of interesting things about uh, the, in- the intersection between wellness and technology. I'm joined by Galit Horowitz, co-founder at WellTech Ventures. Hi, Galit. Hi. My name is Jonathan Gall, and our guest in this episode is Dr. Michael Roizen, the Cleveland Clinic's first chief wellness officer, a New York Times bestselling author, and the man who I recently heard saying that 90 is the new 40. That's, that's right. Dr. Roizen, shalom to you. Shalom, and uh, thank WellTech for being a major sponsor of the uh, Global Wellness Summit. And Galit, you just heard Dr. Roizen speak here at the summit. How was it? It was truly, truly, truly enlightening. It was extremely interesting. Um, I personally want to live longer and a healthier life. Well, the, there's at least an 80% probability that you will. We have 14 shots on goal that is of research into the mechanism of aging that have advanced into at least two animal species and are now advancing into humans. With 14 shots on goal, we think there's at least an 80% probability that you'll be able to, when you're 90, function as if you were 40. Um, we have some prediction successes in the past. So when we did Real Age in 1998, um, we predicted that 60 would be the new 40. It has come to pass. And now you, if you, we get lucky, and if you prepare for it well, Um, you have a real chance of uh, staying the, as young as you are now for another 50 years. That's, wow. That's a, that's a, that's a fine message uh, we can all get behind. And uh, Galit, uh, I think uh, Dr. Roizen uh, answered, answered the question of, yes, you want to live longer. You will probably live longer. Uh, but what's the first thing? I'm going to hand it over to you. What's kind of the first thing you want to uh, talk to him about? 
So, you know, it's not very common to hear of doctors that are such advocates of wellness, right? So coming from the medical field, um, how did the importance of wellness first occur to you? Um, this is a interesting story. So I was at UC San Francisco. I trained as both an internist and an anesthesiologist because I wanted to run an ICU and there weren't ICU training programs in that era. Um, one year after I started running an ICU, I was lucky enough, um, they asked me to head cardiac anesthesia. Um, not because I was so great at it, but because the surgeons were difficult to work with. But all they really cared about was outcome. So in California, we had the outcome data from 1970 on. And when I looked at it carefully, it wasn't heart function or brain function or liver function or lung function or any other specific function. It was the physiologic age of the patient that determined how fast they returned and their complication rate. And it was a huge difference every 10 years. It was a logarithm, and a, if you will. So it was threefold difference. So the person who was 75 had ninefold the risk of disability and uh, complications as the 55-year-old. So I then said, how do we make people 10 years or 20 years younger in the two weeks surrounding their operation? Everyone's dream. And that's how it started. Um, and then you had to figure out a way of motivating people. Once you knew what they could do, it was then, how do you get people to quit smoking? How do you get people to uh, do 10,000 steps a day? How do you get people to make the, f the correct, the appropriate food choices? How do you get them to do stress management, et cetera? And that's when we came up with real age. And that led to, um, if you will, naturally, when we started to develop it, we then, I, I then got very lucky. I got to be at the University of Chicago as chair of the department and uh, also was insisted when I went there that I was chair of executive health. And it turned out one of the patients I got to see was a Nobel Prize winner, Gary Becker, who had done the net present value of investments. So WellTech has investments. So Gary Becker is the one who developed IRR, something you probably use all the time. But in fact, um, he also helped me with developing the formula for the net present value of your health choices. And so that's how it started. And then at, I, I moved on to the Cleveland Clinic um, and uh, our CEO, um, I again was chair of anesthesia, critical care, pain management, and executive health. And our CEO said, uh, "We, what should we do as new institutes? We want it so that people with, for example, heart disease, doesn't matter where they come in to see surgery or cardiology or vascular biology, they will get the best care. So we're going to form institutes instead of departments, which medicine had been." And so I proposed a wellness institute, which encompassed all the things we've talked about. And he said yes, and that's how we started it. And we focused on our employees. So when we was have, that? In what year? Uh, that was in 2007, oh, right wow. in 2007. Okay. So we then focused on our employees. And uh, I can tell some interesting stories about um, the CFO tried to get me fired every quarter because <laughs> we were costing money for the first three years. We now save 
compared to our chief competitor and compared to our trend line, 190 million a year for 101,000 employees and dependents, wow. um, which is some real money. And that doesn't include the 50 million that we pay the employees a year as an incentive. So we're now 38% cheaper than the national average um, with excellent benefit package at the Cleveland Clinic um, because our employees have gotten to what we call six normals plus two. They're doing the wellness things, including stress management, including physical activity, et cetera. But we, again, the Cleveland Clinic built its reputation on outcome. So it isn't that they're doing the processes, they're getting to the outcomes. So I know I've gone on too long, but that's how I got into <laughs> wellness. Okay. So we all want to live longer and healthier lives. And in Hebrew, uh, when you wish someone a happy birthday, you wish them to live until 120, right? So you coined the real age concept, uh, which from my understanding is the calendar age of your body, which is based on your birthday. And then there's the actual age of your body, which is based on lifestyle choices. So can you elaborate a little on the real age concept and what life, uh, lifestyle choices do we need to make? Well, the basic lifestyle choices that you need to make are the ones we've already spoken about. They're really, are in, in our new app, Reboot Your Age, there really are six pillars. One is stress management, and the most key thing is posse and passion. So it is having friends that you can call on, it is having a passion. You can do other things for stress management as well. The second uh, thing is, the second most important are uh, food choices, portion size, and time of eating. The third is the four components of physical activity that have been shown to affect longevity. The fourth is avoiding unforced errors. One of my disappointments in seeing Israel first time is the amount of smoking I see on the streets. It is, it is Yeah, much that comes from the European culture. Well, it is much more than I've seen. In other words, even visiting Paris in the last year and uh, Toronto and other, if you will, New York, et cetera. We should say it's the elections day yesterday. Everybody's really no, stressed, not a good stressed day. out. <laughs> yeah, everybody's stressed <laughs> out. Well, I couldn't believe how much smoking there was here. Yeah. So, so we've got but to do something about that. did you go out to the boardwalk and see the, how many people run and walk in the morning? That was wonderful. <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing, I will come back to this, is um, one of my disappointments with uh, being at the wellness, Global Wellness Summit is every year I'm at the health club at uh, 6.30 in the morning, and there are the same 10 people there out of the 400 guests. Now, there were about 35 outside with the techno gym uh, and with um, well tech support um, out there, but so it's only 10 or 15% of us are doing uh, physical activity during these four days. It's very, that's a disappointment. But in any case, avoiding unforced errors, now one of the major unforced errors in America at least is texting while driving. So, um, and in fact, if you look long-term when we expect one of these 14 to come in, it's going to be unforced errors that do us in um, and, and create longevity I mean, without disability. Except for being disability. dangerous, like while you're driving to text, because, yes. you know, 
That's, so what, how does that affect your health? Well, wait a second. Let me, let me come back. Sure. So it affects your health because you get in an accident. <laughs> no, apart, um, yeah, yeah, apart but, from that, that's no, a major... No, that's the major that's way a, okay. you get in there. Okay. And uh, number um, five, if you will, is sleep and brain health. Yeah. And uh, the sixth one is supplements and small molecules. Um, so those are the six real foundations of uh, both wellness and which i consider um the life that you're able to do all the things the passions and to meet your posse where you want to meet them so it is um that's what i consider the those things we are social animals we are um if you will in a society where we thrive on connections with others and uh, the ability to do that and to have a passion in life and to do it um, as in the capable way you are able to do it is what I consider the goal of both wellness and longevity. So I've heard you say eat food you love and that loves your body back, right? What does that mean? So I love chocolate. Does chocolate love me? It may. It may. Okay, so, that's good so, to know. So let me go in and say so. This is true in everything. So we say 10,000 step or step equivalents. My co-author on the Great Age Reboot book, Albert Ratner, hates walking, but he loves um, playing with his grandkids. Um, the, uh, and so playing with your grandkids or playing ping pong, all of those things are a way of getting step equivalents. So you want to do things. This is sunshine. It isn't castor oil. You want to do things you love to do that love you back. You wouldn't marry someone who is trying to kill you every day. I hope you, so. You, you shouldn't. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, should, you shouldn't eat food that's trying to kill you every day. You may love steak, but it's trying to kill you. So there's no reason to choose that because you may love salmon and avocados like I do, and those are trying to keep me alive. And so what you want to do is have food you love that loves you back, and that's true in every one of those spheres. Do things you love to do that love you back. It's, this is, longevity is a sunshine opportunity. Every once in a while, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, just had a thought. Every once in a while, you hear about these studies of these places all over the world where people live the longest, some village in some mountain somewhere where the average uh, age is, is high. And there's always a bunch of factors and people try to figure out, is that something you look at? Is that something you're, you're curious about, of looking at places all over the world where people uh, live to, to many years? Um, Dan Buettner did that beautifully and in the, if you will, blue zones. But the key in those areas is really the environment they live in. They have friends. They have a passion for life. They value the elders and the, um, the education, the, the perspective and the teaching they can give. And they have an environment that fosters physical activity, that fosters eating the foods they want. The problem with that, I believe, in America or in modern-day society is it's very tough to create those environments in large areas. You've got to do it in your own area. Mm -hmm. So the key in motivating behavior change, I believe, is changing the environment you live in so it fosters that. 
So I, in, in, where Dan and I come together on this is we believe the environment is key, but I think it's a micro-environment, meaning um, he's out to change cities. Tremendous if he succeeds. I, I've given up. I mean, you know, the biggest city type thing I can change is the Cleveland Clinic, if you yeah. will. And as I think about individuals, and as, as I told you, it, it cost us um, money in the first three years we did this. The CFO tried to fire me every quarter. Um, only the CEO, who uh, shared my vision or who I um, was, was passionate about wellness as well. Um, kept me there. Now it's a huge savings. So the CFO takes credit for it now. But in any case, um, the, the point is that it is very difficult to do it on a scale that is large enough for a whole city. I admire what Dan's doing. I hope he succeeds. Um, but in the meantime, I think you can create your own micro environment that fosters choices. So if you don't have cookies in the home, if you don't have cigarettes in the home, if you don't have red meat in the home, if, if you avoid egg yolks in your home and only have egg whites in the home, you're not going to eat the foods that age you, if you will, um, as easily. So it's much... Um, it, it, you you can create a micro environment that fosters it, just like uh, the oldest areas in the blue zones have created a major environment. So most people think like prevention and wellness is time consuming, right? If you have to create your own environment and buy specific foods and physical activity, do you think it is? Um, it requires some planning effort to create that environment, but once you set it up, it's easier than heck. You know, I have patients who essentially automatically order food, have trainers that come in, et cetera. That's a, you know, have have a, uh, a economic status that they're able to do it automatically. For those of us who uh, do it ourselves, if you will, yeah, I, I, I love going shopping, and there's always the temptation of... Uh, horrendous foods that uh, we we have a place in america i don't know if it's here in israel called costco mm. um, costco is amazing yeah but so i know exactly where the foods i want are and even the wine i want is and so it yeah, I get 2,700 steps every time I go shopping at Costco, <laughs> so I know, I know how big the Costco warehouse is but do, that I do use. Do you have a guilty pleasure there, something that you know doesn't love you back, but you still love? No. Um, it's not that you have to be perfect, mm -hmm. but I know I'm going to go out to eat and, and be imperfect when I go out to eat because I don't control what the chef does. Mm -hmm. um, and so you mentioned chocolate. So you can have, you know, an ounce or less of chocolate a day actually helps you stay younger. The flavonoids are pretty good. You want 70% or higher chocolate. Um, yeah, but my problem is that I like milk chocolate, not dark chocolate. <laughs> oh, well, well, <laughs> so um, maybe that's I, something I should change, right? Yeah, and, and not only that, your taste is pretty easy to change. Mm -hmm. So if you do it for three months, it's like, I don't know if you went from whole milk to skim milk. A lot of people have, and when they go back to whole milk, it tastes yucky. You can do the same thing with milk chocolate to dark chocolate. Mars would like you just as much. They make both. Um, <laughs> and yes, it's a little tricky, right? You have to only get the dark chocolate in the house because if you have the milk chocolate, you're going to um, 
have something that doesn't love your body back. So it is, um, it is just a matter of creating that environment where you have dark chocolate and you have it in small enough quantities that it's easy to stick with an ounce a day. I'll definitely take that recommendation. Um, so you're, you're determined to change policy. And if I'm not mistaken, you've spoken in front of Congress. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, and you believe wellness and prevention should be for the masses. Um, so how can we make wellness accessible to the masses? I think the example we used at the Cleveland Clinic um, can be used in what we call our Medicare and Medicaid policies, which is you give a sizable enough reward for achieving the outcomes you want that people will be driven by that financial incentive. You'd love it to be a internal incentive. You'd love it to be that people want to be well just because they won't get disease or won't get chronic diseases. But as we showed at the Cleveland Clinic, we couldn't do that even in a healthcare environment without giving incentives. And when we gave $100 to achieve uh, normal blood pressure, no one did. But when we made it $800, all of a sudden people did. And the amount of money we're spending on chronic disease management is so large that, as I said, we're saving close to $200 million a year um, after paying our employees $50 million a year um, to as incentives. So it's a huge amount of money you can save. And not only that, what we've shown is they're getting younger doing this. So compared to the average employee in the United States or compared to the employees at the Cleveland Clinic who voluntarily choose not to do this, it's a voluntary program, they're getting um, about the equivalent of a nine year younger over a lifetime. So it's a huge, I mean, if you live 10% more of your life um, without disability, how great a reward is that? And they get paid to do no, it. Nothing better. Right, and you get paid to do it. So um, we ended up, and, and there's enough money in healthcare. In the United States, we're spending $3.7 trillion on healthcare. Just imagine if, if the Cleveland Clinic system, and we save 38% on it, you know, let me go and say this. So we've got about 44% of our employees and dependents have achieved what we call six normals plus two. Those are the people who are helping us save money, but there's a carryover for the rest of the population that's working in it. If we did that as a country, you would have 1.6 trillion extra dollars a year to spend on social programs, to spend on things we care about, to spend on alternative energy uh, programs, et cetera, that would make a lot of people's lives better in the long term. So it's a huge incentive if we can get Congress to do it. The, um, I'm hopeful that uh, we have a shot in the next, uh, where we now have congressional elections, um, probably uh, we've just had them by the time this podcast airs, yeah. and hopefully um, I will have enough uh, people who understand this um, and understand how to make the incentive work that we'll be able to do it. I hope so. Um, so being a fund, we invest in wellness technology. 
Uh, and we see technology playing a major role in the future of wellness. Uh, what role do you think technology will have in the wellness industry? I think there are three roles. Okay. Um, so one of the roles is to make possible the jump, um, if you will, to, um, if you will, 90 is the new 40. So whether it is my proteins that are a uh, sugar, if you will, substitute in a protein form. We don't get enough protein as we get older, so this is a wonderful thing of, of satisfying that um, sweetness without um, sugar, if you will. So, and without changing proteins negatively, with changing them positively. So that's an example of a way we can move um, the needle um, towards getting there. A second is um, in um, identifying early situations that need intervention. And some of that is with biomarker advances. And the third is something like we're doing with a Reboot Your Age app, where it's a day-by-day -day program to help people if you will, modify their environment, modify what they do so that they're able to take advantage of it. You know, someday, maybe 2050, you go in the car wash at, uh, at 90 at one end and you come out uh, 40 at the other end. But for now, it's organ by organ. And so you want to keep all your organs as young as possible. We evolved not to do that. We evolved to survive. So if you were attacked by an animal and got a injury, you formed cells called senile cells, old cells, that would form a scab so you wouldn't bleed out. Totally viable in, and totally understandable in our evolution. But a scab in your, if you injure your knee and develop a scab there, well, that's osteoarthritis, not viable now. So whether it is the technologies like WellTech is working on to get rid of senile cells or to develop new stem cells to regrow them, or whether it is a something that alerts you, or whether it's a program like ours, technology will play a major role in helping us both understand what it does to keep organs young and the whole body young and to actually be able to do that. So that it, it is a multiplicity and, and so I thank WellTech for not only sponsoring this, uh, not only sponsoring this, but being a lead in um, helping us all uh, enjoy it, what I say is, uh, as I said, it, it is do the things you love and lo that love your body back. Excellent. And are you implementing certain technologies in your in your clinic in Cleveland Clinic? Um, the in our there's a lot of individuality in the practice, and so my practice is wellness and longevity, and so I'm implementing. Yes. Um, so uh, the patients that need um, a diuretic, yeah, they go on bumetamide, mm -hmm. and that's a technology shown that, that uh, we have, hasn't been proven, but it changes the E4 gene um, and gets it to function more like an E2 gene. So instead of having a two- or three-fold increase in dementia, it has a half-fold decrease in dementia. 
Speaking of implementation, I think we're going to have to uh, start wrapping up. So uh, we'll, uh, I guess we'll leave with this question. We like to ask our guests about their daily wellness routine. Uh, you've already spoken about food, about going to Costco. And we know that you're at the gym here at, uh, at the summit. It's, what did you say, 6 a.m., 6.30? Well, I was told it opens at 6.30, but I saw a guy there who had already done 15 minutes when I got there at 6.30. So mm-hmm. somebody opened it early or that opens at 6 a.m. and I wasn't told. But anyway. Yeah, so tell us about what, what you do day by day. What's your daily so, routine? Uh, my daily routine is there are 180 choices you can make, not including supplements and small molecules. I do almost every one of them when I'm at a conference like this. So I did my own podcast. I have a podcast which has 50,000 downloads. And I my engineer is on at uh, 4 p.m. East Coast time. So that was 10 p.m. So 10 to 11. So I obviously didn't get enough sleep last night. Um, and I try not to sacrifice sleep. But other than that, I do almost everything. So I, I don't eat till usually 11.30 in the morning. I finish eating by 6.30 p.m. Five days a month, I go on the fasting mimicking diet with uh, 750 calories for five days. Um, I uh, manage stress both by calling friends and thank you for letting me share my passion, which is helping people get younger. Um, so food choices, portion size, time, um, physical activity, I get all four forms of it, um, and uh, including resistance, cardio, and jumping. Um, in unforced errors, um, I don't, m- people consider me a lousy driver, but I concentrate <laughs> on driving even though I'm a lousy driver. You don't driver. text at the same time? <laughs> I don't text at the same time, but, but I still am a lousy driver, but in any case, um, and uh, the other two things, I do brain games, they're all integrated into our, the Brain HQ games are integrated into our uh, Reboot Your Age app. Um, as is uh, stress management. There are 33 things you can do for slowing your rate of brain aging. Sleep I do well. And uh, the um, other one is uh, we analyze in the, in the Reboot Your Age app, the supplements, etc. And I talk to my practitioner for, and he uh, advises me on what I should really do after I've educated him. So we have a lot of homework, Galit. We yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> a lot of smart things. Uh, and uh, Dr. Michael Roizen, it was very interesting talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming in. My privilege. Thank you. And thank WellTech. Uh, thank you Galit, very for much. For what you do. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the WellTech podcast. We'd like to thank our guests, our producers and editors from Shema, and you, our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this one and please subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you hear our future episodes. We invite you to learn more about what we do at welltechventures.com. I'm Galit Horvitz. From me and Amir Al-Roy, goodbye and be well. Thank you, Galit. Be well. <laughs>